Lord Jesus, make us worthy to follow you. Amen. Morning again. Last week, Catherine shared an outstanding letter from a young man, the son of a priest friend of Catherine's, who wrote about his experience of being a person of color and the things he did, consciously or unconsciously, to assure people that he was no threat. That letter told part of this young man's life story. The message was right on in terms of how racism shapes who we become and how we engage with the world around us. It is an invisible force, but as common as the air we breathe. Our life stories shape who we become. And given the challenging events that have captured the attentions of our country and the world around racial violence and social justice in recent weeks, I found myself thinking of my own engagement with racial issues and white privilege. And I wanted to share three personal stories as a way to begin wrestling with today's gospel reading where Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. The first story is my earliest recollection of anything to do with race. I was about three years old. I was with my father and we were about to get, we were online to get on a bus and I saw a family ahead of us getting on the bus and I shouted out, look daddy, there's a N-word. Shout it right out. <laughs> and I was immediately hushed up with, shh, shh, don't say that, don't say that. I remember being confused and ashamed for I must have learned that word somewhere. I was three years old but I didn't know why it was wrong. I could have just as easily been at the zoo saying, daddy, daddy, look at the lion. But what was intentionally imprinted at a young age was that there had to be a degree of secrecy around certain kinds of people. Our earliest stories are powerful teachers. The second story took place when I was a young adult and I worked as a social recreation director at a boys club in New York City. This particular club had three units, one in Manhattan where I was based and two in the South Bronx. There was an all staff training one day and it was held in one of the South Bronx buildings. So the staff there were the hosts. The social director, Jean, at that club was a colleague and I liked him very much. He was good to work with. He gave the introduction and, and the welcome to everybody. And part of his welcome said, I want to especially welcome all the women who are here on the staff. Because women on a boys club staff at the time were few and far between. He went on, I also want to acknowledge all the wonderful shades of color in front of me, from light tan to warm chocolate to deep ebony. I can't tell you what else he said because I was sitting in shock and embarrassment that I had been left out. I was the only white woman there, and I couldn't believe that Jean, who was African-American, would have intentionally left me out. That was not like him. It was cruel, and that was just not his way of being. 
I felt as though a huge blinking fluorescent sign was flashing over my head, pointing out to everyone, this one doesn't belong here. She's different from you. It was shocking to internally understand what it must have felt like for a black person to be the only person of color in a room of white people. A few days later, I was still trying to work this out and I realized, to my surprise, that I most likely had been included. Gene had not left me out intentionally and he was probably much further along in his understanding about skin color than I was. For if I take this piece of white paper and put my hand on it, what color is my hand? I can assure you it is not white. It is light tan. We are all shades of brown. That is what I think Jean was getting at. And that is what we have tried to teach our children as they grow up, grew up, and now try to teach our grandchildren. Our stories shape how we see the world around us. The third and final story took place about 20 years ago when I was preparing for ordination. The rector in my parish had challenged me with the sentence, if you're white, you're a racist, which was a shocking revelation <laughs> since I, like many other white people, don't think of myself as being a racist. It came as quite an eye-opener to learn about white privilege and that color blindness is a form of racism. He suggested I go visit a member of our parish, Cheryl Day Dick, who is an artist and a black woman, for she had an interesting story to tell. So I went and visited her, and she spoke about the stories of slavery she was researching and the horrors that enslaved people experienced. She was on a personal quest to find out more about her own ancestors who were slaves and who had enslaved them. She painted these huge, large pictures of the spirits she felt around her, hoping that in this way, she was helping them find a voice in the world that they had been denied in their lifetimes. The paintings were stunning and some were very disturbingly powerful. One of my favorites was a black angel robed all in white, ascending to heaven while holding the hand of a black man who was dressed in tatters and had just apparently died from being beaten and lynched. But the one part of her story that I found the most haunting and still do was when she told me that she hated to look at herself in the mirror. Why is that? I asked her. She said, each time I look in the mirror, I am reminded that an ancestor of mine was raped by a white man. You see, her eye color is blue-gray and she is light-skinned, black. To view herself in the mirror is to see her unknown history that she cannot change, and yet she carries its outcome in her DNA. How do you escape that? Painting the heartbreaking stories was one way for her to try and set those ancestors free. These are three stories of mine. And I learned something important in each one, that racism is taught at a very young age, 
that our skin color is not white, but a shade of brown, and that my African-American sisters and brothers carry a burden I cannot even begin to imagine. Multiply these three tiny stories by the millions of people who have lived and died in our country for several hundred years. And is it any wonder that racism is such an entrenched, intense, and complex issue today? And into the mix, we have the words of Jesus from today. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In the Gospel of Luke, the phrasing is, do not think that I have come to give peace. Do you think I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. As Jesus teaches his disciples about the cost of their discipleship, as he's doing in today's reading, he points out that the way to God's kingdom is not found in a kind of peace that is a spiritual or moral anesthesia. It is certainly not what we associate with peacefulness as being a serene, tranquil repose, a moment of calm stillness and the free of any strife. No, Jesus is not bringing that kind of peace. He is bringing the kind of peace that ultimately is produced by the cutting edge of justice that cuts through the bindings with which People tie themselves up in fierce knots. It is a sword for peace and justice, for those who are disenfranchised, forgotten, abandoned, ignored and flattened by the trampling of life. Those whose life stories are much more grievous than the three I just shared with you. We all are in need of a peace that comes from Jesus's sort of division so that we can be bound into one body of humanity with God's love and tireless perseverance. The word peace that is a knife edge of conversion is a dynamic noun that needs to be matched to a compelling verb and sharpened perception and perceptive words such as binding, binding ourselves to peace, looking at the world through a new lens and taking hold of what we learn into our hearts and then teaching others, binding ourselves to peace. Or maybe this word, activating, activating the peace of God, extending however best we can the reconciling power of God's love person to person, clearing out our own spiritual closets with courage, aimed at renewing the bits and pieces of the world where we live, activating the peace of God. Or maybe the word brandishing, brandishing Jesus's sword of peace, stepping into the realms of our own discomfort as we touch the pain that our ignorance and privilege have blinded us from seeing, brandishing Jesus's sword of peace. Or maybe the word pursuit, pursuing peace, taking incisive, consistent, and penetrating efforts to 
love, forgive, learn, listen, and change. It is costly perseverance that Jesus asks of us. It is the kind of peace that is being sought these days on the streets of cities around the world for those who are standing up against the evil of racism in its many insidious forms. For Christians, this is the work of Jesus. It is the raw, down-to-earth, passionate love for God that was like a fire that burned in Jesus' heart, mind, and soul. Jesus' ongoing pursuit of peace is to carry God's light wherever there is darkness. Where there is light, there is energy. Where there is energy, something is changing. We have only to look at the signs of the times around us to see that. God's compassion for our world and for each one of us extends directly into the heart of our places of discomfort because that is where the peace that Christ brings is found. A peace that burns away the chaff and the unnecessary, refining and creating something new, that purifies and makes the broken whole. That's a fire we either choose to stand inside and be changed by or stand outside and be watchers in the night. Jesus doesn't bring peace. He brings a fire. He brings radical love. We can either choose it or not, stand in it or not, be part of it or walk away. The choice is always ours to make. But the world needs that fire now. The signs are present. Do we not see them? French philosopher Pierre Teilhard de Jardin said, the day will come when, after harnessing the ether, the winds, the tides, gravitation, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And on that day, for the second time in the history of the world, human beings will have discovered fire. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come like the wind and cleanse. Come like the fire and burn. Consecrate us to our great good and your great glory. All this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace and Divine Love itself. Amen.